Hello, one and all, and welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I am very excited to be here today. It's been a fun day here for Logan Blackman. One, the United States won 4-1 against Jamaica today, so give a round of applause to the boys in red, white, and blue, or boys in blue today is what they're wearing. Uh, the, I mean, last night, the United States U23 team lost to Mexico one nothing, and a very sloppy error led to Mexico's goal. Sebastian Soto, normally a forward, was playing defense in that section. He, I'll give Sebastian Soto the benefit of the doubt here. For those of you who didn't watch, Sebastian Soto was looking essentially towards the left back, played it towards the right, and a, Mexican's, a Mexican forward was right there, stole it, and slotted it home near post past David Ochoa. I think that was Sebastian Soto's first touch of the game. Now, I could be wrong about that, but they get to play again on Sunday. So just before we get into everything, make sure you tune in to the United States United U23 team. They'll be playing either Honduras or Canada. I'm not really 100% sure who they're playing. The two teams are playing tonight on March 25th, so I am unaware of what's going on in that. But you guys will know, once this episode's out, who the United States will be playing in the Olympic qualifier semifinal. And this is massive for the United States. Now, for those of you who are unaware, the United States U23 team has not made the Olympics since 2008. And the difference is, a lot of people might not know this, it's starting, the same thing goes with the uh, the hockey for the Olympics nowadays, where they don't bring their actual best players anymore. It's a bunch of kids, essentially. For the men's and women's soccer for the Olympics, the women's team's they bring their best teams. The men's side, they only bring U23 players. Then get the occasional, I think they get two or three older players to accompany the team over. It's like in the, the 2012 Olympics, when it was over in London, Ryan Giggs, Manchester United legend, played for Great Britain. He was about 37 at the time. So you can have the odd player play for your national team in the Olympics. The older players, I guess. He was the captain for a very young team. I can't remember how that ended, but obviously the United States wasn't in it, so it didn't really matter. And that's been one of the big failures for the United States men's national team over the past, what, 12, 13 years is the fact that they are unable to qualify for the Olympics. And if they don't win their game on Sunday, they're going to have to try again in three years and it'll just be another Olympics that the United States misses out on. And this is a generation of United States players who I've talked about numerous times on the show. And we'll talk about the men's team, the senior team, in a little bit. That this is the best team they've had ever. This is the biggest group crop of players the United States has ever had at their disposal. And the U23s, this is kind of the failure of the United States in their development over these past probably 10 years, I'll say. Because now it's starting to come through fruition with players like Serginio Dest. Yunus Musa coming through the youth system now. But back then, you didn't have any of those players. And all the players that were on those teams were, I don't know, people we don't know anymore. The odd player would be on that team that everybody would be aware of. But the youth development in the United States back then was not great. And it's a thousand times better now than what it was when the U.S. tried to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. It's a thousand times. That was, that was four years ago. Or four years, three years ago. I can do math. And I'm excited to see what they can do. They're unlucky to not come away with a draw. But either way, that game didn't really matter for anything. The United States and Mexico both locked their spots in the semifinals for the Olympic qualifying period. So 
that was just a game to, like, neither team brought their best starting lineup. The United States was resting two key players based on, or actually, quite not more, more than two key players based on yellow cards. Most mainly, Jesus Ferreira, the striker, who we've talked about a couple times on this show. He didn't start. Jackson Ewell didn't start. Uh, Jonathan Lewis didn't start either. And all three of those guys came in on the exact same substitution period <laughs> because they're the best players the United States has at the U23 level. Now you have Jordi Mihailovic. He's also there. He put in a couple beautiful crosses in the box from set pieces. He was on one as far as set pieces go. The defense played very, very well. I'm not even going to give the defense... I'm not going to say anything bad about the defense for that goal because, again, Sebastian Soto, a striker or winger, for just a forward in general, passed it to a Mexican forward. It wasn't even the defenders that did that. David Ochoa looked awesome in net. He got a little got a little testy, which you like to see in the United States-Mexico rivalry in soccer. It's one of the most beautiful rivalries in the sport, especially when the United States goes down to Mexico to play the Mexican national team. If you've never watched a Mexico-United States soccer game at the Azteca Stadium, not I'm not saying like going there, because going there would be a totally different experience than just watching it on TV, but that's a game you have to watch. Now, it's a little bit different, obviously, because there's no fans there. And this game the other night was in Guadalajara, which is Mexico's, but Chivas is probably the second or third biggest club in Mexico, probably second, right behind Club America, who plays the Azteca Stadium in Mexico City. Like, that rivalry's big. And I'm liking that it's starting to get a little competitive on the under-23 side because Mexico's been running away with it as of late. It's been pretty much unchallenged. Now, I totally expect the United States to beat either Canada or Honduras. So, I'm not too worried. But there is that thought in the back of my head that they could miss out on another qualifying period. And players... This is kind of funny. This is kind of funny. So, the players that are playing now that are trying to get the United States to the Olympics might not even feature in the Olympic squad <laughs> if they were to actually make the Olympics. Because the United States men's senior team has players that are all under 23. All the best players the United States men's national team are under 23 years old. <laughs> like, Sergio Dest is 20. Anthony Robinson's 23. Chris Richards is 20. Brian Reynolds is 19. Eric Palmer Brown... 23, Jonas Musa, 18, Brendan Aronson, 20, Luca De La, De La Torre, who, him and Eric Palmer Brown, good job getting back in the fold. I didn't know you guys would ever be back, especially Eric Palmer Brown. I'm I'm happy that you got back in this fold. Uh, Owen Atiswati, Oto-Swat-Owi, I need to practice his name a little more. He's 20, Christian Kappas is 20, Giovanni Reina is 18, Josh Sargent, 21, Christian Pulisic, 22, Daryl DK. 20, Nicholas Giacchini, Gio, Giacchini, I was saying it today, I was practicing it today, whatever, he's 20, and then you go down to the, even the backup goalkeepers, they're under 20 years old, we got a bunch of Matt Freeze, under 23 years old, JT Marchantowski is 23 years old, CJ Dos Santos, now David Ochoa, obviously 20 years old as well, like Reggie Cannon, 22 years old, Sam Vines, 21, he's a part of the qualifying team, but he didn't play the other night. And Justin Glad, I think, is in there as well. And Tyler Adams, 22. Like, there's a lot of good players. The United States, Richie Ledesma is 20. Tim Weah is 21. Jesus Ferreira, 20. He's playing in the team right now. Sebastian Soto, 20. J Jordi Mihailovic, 22. Like, there's some good players the United States 
has at their disposal. Conrad De La Fuente. Like, these players that are playing in the under-23 match are trying to get the Olympics so these guys can play, which is kind of cool and kind of sad at the same time. Like, there was a little... They kept hyping up this interview that Christian Pulisic was going to do on Fox Sports 1 at halftime in the Mexico-United States game. It was like a maybe 10-second clip from a Facebook interview that he did earlier in the day that it looked like. And Christian was like, I want to play the Olympics. Essentially. I mean, that's he probably said five other words in that little quote-unquote interview he did with Fox Sports 1. And Christian, loving the perm, by the way. If you haven't noticed it, I asked my dad about this. Go look up a, a picture of Christian Pulisic from the past couple days. I asked my dad if he thought it was natural hair. He said it is. I am under the belief that Christian got a, himself a nice little perm in his hair. Which I'm all for it. Get a little volume to the hair. Now, he did shave the beard for today's game against Jamaica, but whatever. It's up to him. But these players that are qualifying, they're going to be the people responsible for the U.S.'s quote-unquote failure or success in regards to making the Olympics. Half these guys probably won't even play. I'm sure Giovanni Reina, Christian Pulisic, Josh Sargent, Jonas Musa, Brendan Aronson would love to play in the Olympics. Chris Richards, Brian Reynolds, all these guys are going to want to play in the Olympics. So some of the guys who are going to get this team here, they're not going to play, which is sad. Kind of sad. Kind of cool at the same time because you're you're not thinking about yourself. You're giving it all to your country to get to the Olympics, to stop embarrassing yourself on the international level for soccer. Man. They've done, they did a really good job at that in 2018. Didn't make the Olympics and didn't make the World Cup. So it was a great time to be a United States soccer fan at that period of time. Like I know we've talked about this before, but that day, I'll never forget that day when the United States lost to Trinidad and Tobago. I was in my, what was eventually going to be my room, but it was my, my, my friend's room at William Penn. I couldn't find the stream on TV, so I was refreshing stats because I didn't know anything about totally illegal streams at that point. And so I was just on Twitter, different websites to try and get stats, live stats updates and stuff like that. We had the Blackhawks versus the Montreal Canadiens on the TV. And I saw the United States just lost to Trinidad and Tobago. I, my dad was basically a therapist at that point. I talked to my dad for about a half hour and he just sat there and listened the entire time. He didn't really, he didn't really have any, he was as shocked as I was. Well, I don't know if he was as shocked, but that was awful. And then you see other countries like the Netherlands missing the World Cup, Italy missing the World Cup. And then you start to feel a little less, less bad about yourself. But then to look at how they handled it, the players, the coaches of that team, other than Pulisic, could have seemed like they cared less about that, which is why I'm happy that they've been gradually phased out by Greg Berhalter and co. because there was a manager right before Berhalter, an interim between him and Bruce Arena. I can't remember his name to save my life. He was in the Gold Cup. And, man, that was a rough period. It is refreshing to not see those players on this team anymore. Like, even if you go down, if you go on Wikipedia or anything like that, just to look up the squad, because it'll have recent call-ups as well. You don't see Michael Bradley on here, or Josie Altidore on here anymore. Now, Josie realistically could be still in the call-up range, but... Taylor Twelman brought it up today. 
Greg Berhalter doesn't view Josie as a realistic option going forward. And that's what I, I agree 100% with them. We said that in the blog post I did the other day. Can't spell Musa without USA. If you haven't read that, go check it on the Logan Blackman Show website. It's a preview for the 2022 World Cup right after Yunus Musa announced his declaration for the United States. Or his commitment, I guess, to the United States. And Taylor Twelman shared the same brain that I had. Where the striker position, it's fun to talk about, but we don't really know what the options are. There's a lot of great prospects, but we don't know what it's going to look like. We can guarantee two. There are two guarantees in the United States system right now. And that is Jayassi Zardes and Josh Sargent. Both of them are competing for the number nine shirt. And based off track record, and based off what Burhalter has done with these players, it will be Jayassi Zardes. They've had a relationship for years, and now it's come to fruition in the United States. Now, you have these relationships. But managers have their favorite players. Right, wrong, or otherwise, they have their favorite players. They're... They're going to go, okay, we got to pick this guy. Even though they're not the best player and they're leaving other players that may be better at home. But they're their favorite players. So in Greg Berhalter's situation, you got Sebastian Legette's one. Jayassi Zardes is obviously another one. And Aaron Long is another one. Those are the three players that are what look like Greg Berhalter's favorite players. And I have no issue with those guys at all. I love all of those players. Aaron Long... Though he battles inconsistencies this time, is the second best center back the United States has at their disposal. If he can stay consistent. That's the big thing here. But even whether regardless if he is or not, Burhalter's gonna pick him. And this was one of the first times, this isn't the first time, but it's one of the first times we saw John Brooks and Aaron Long partner each other in the center back positions. That's the the center back partnership the United States will have if everybody's healthy and they're bringing their strongest squad. It's going to be Aaron Long and John Brooks. Now, you might see the odd Matt Miazga in there, Walker Zimmerman, Chris Richards, but it's 90% of the time, if they're both there, you will see it, Aaron Long, John Brooks, center back partnership. And that might not make a lot of fans happy because Aaron Long, again, battles consistency issues from time to time. But I think Greg Berhalter values his leadership a lot. He was the first captain under Greg Berhalter, which we've mentioned a thousand times here on the Logan Blackman Show about Aaron Long and his importance to the United States men's national team as a whole. He's been the main cog in a team where they've had rotation at every single position. He's been one of the few constants. Him and Zach Steffen have really been two players that Regardless of who else is getting called up in the squad, those two are usually always there. I'm saying usually. There's been the odd time where they haven't featured. Those are Zach Steffen's another one, but Zach Steffen, I think everybody can agree, is the unchallenged number one for the United States men's national team. Now, the backup situation for goalies is a very interesting one as well, but we're not going to get into the backup goalie situation right now. What I am going to get into is the captaincy situation with the United States men's national team. This is going to be a topic forever because the United States, ever since Burhalter's been the manager, he has not named a captain. He has rotated the captaincy, but he has not gone out there and said, you're the captain. So I posted the poll on Twitter right before the United States took on Jamaica today. It got 11 votes, so if you haven't voted, I'd greatly appreciate it if you did. Well, it's probably done by the time you're here in the show. 
It was who should be the next U.S. men's national team captain. And I think it's between four. I think there's a top four, which is what you can do on Twitter polls. And then I think there's about two or three other players that could be mentioned in the captaincy range for the United States. So the top four to me, and I just did this last or, order by last name, not in any order like what I think is going to happen. It was Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic, and Zach Steffen. That's the four I think have the best shot at being captain. Now, if you want like other people that are in consideration for it, it's Aaron Long, it's John Brooks, it might be Giovanni Reina, as his dad was once the captain of the United States, but he's 18, so I severely doubt that at this point in time for him. Maybe in the future, but not now. But he he's a dark horse for this. Tim Ream, with his experience, will be mentioned along there as well, but he doesn't really play that much. He's more of a calming voice in the dressing room, more than a threat to play, if that makes any sense. But he's been captain before as well. So out of the four, unsurprisingly, I knew this was going to happen, but I thought I'd post it anyways. Christian Pulisic ran away with the vote. I, I'm not surprised by that. Out of the general viewing audience, the United States men's national team, Christian Pulisic should be the captain for the United States. I think that's a very fair and a very reasonable thing. I think you can make arguments for all four of these players. I'm excluding John Brooks and Aaron Long for this scenario. I think you can make cases for them as well. But out of these four, you can make very strong cases for all of them and also some things that would be against them. Like, if we're going to do that right now. Oh, and also, Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney tied on 18.2%. And this was kind of surprising to me. Zach Steffen received 0% of the vote. But we'll get to that in a little bit. So, with Christian, we'll start with him since he had the most votes. He is the most experienced, as far as the United States men's national team goes, out of these four. By far. He is the best player the United States has at their disposal right now. Which is true. You could argue Weston McKinney has surpassed him in that based on his standing at Juventus. But... I'm still on the brain that Christian Pulisic is the best player the United States has. Again, I hear the arguments. I don't ignore them. I'm assuming some people out there will ignore them, but they're out there. And another thing with Christian, he's been dubbed Captain America ever since he made his debut for the United States. Everybody thought this is the future Captain America. He's been called that since he's been at Chelsea. Like, we, this has not been something new that... Christian Pulisic might very well be the next captain of the United States. This has been something talked about throughout fan circles for years. He's been captain, I think, twice in his United States men's national team career. Once in the Gold Cup and one in a friendly that they had a few years ago. Might have been Burhalter's first. No, not first one because we've already said Aaron Long was his first one. But the thing with Christian, he's been battling injuries quite a bit. His playing time has been very suspect at Chelsea at times, but Thomas Tuchel has come out and said he brings a lot of value coming on for the last 30 minutes of the game, which he does. He brings a very lively spark for the Chelsea team that not a lot of players have. But the injuries could be a problem. He hasn't been in the United States men's national team in months, but that could go down to, again, injuries, COVID restriction travels over in England. So that could be another thing there. For Tyler Adams, we'll start with him next because his last name comes first in this order, and he's tied with Weston McKinney. Tyler Adams has also been mentioned. Out of these four, Pulisic and Adams have been talked about, hyped up as the next captain of the United States as long as I can remember. Tyler Adams is wearing the number four. He plays as the number six. Who else did that for the United States? Unfortunately, Michael Bradley. 
Okay? Now, Bradley wasn't good as a number six, nor as a number eight, nor as a number ten. But every time he would do this, it was, oh, Michael Bradley's not a number six, he's a number eight. Oh, he's not a number eight, he's a number ten. Oh, he's not a number ten, why are you playing so high at the field? He's a defensive midfielder. No one knows what Michael Bradley's good at because he's not good at anything. His dad was Bob Bradley. He was the captain because he was the longest-serving player at that time, and Clint Dempsey ripped up a, a book, the referee's little handbook. It's no secret that the worst captain the United States has had led them to nothingness. And I'm so happy he's not going to break Kobe Jones' cap record. That's something I am very happy about. But Adams has been captain at underage level as well. He is playing very well for RB Leipzig. Now, he doesn't start all the time. But he is featured quite a bit for RB Leipzig, for Julian Nagelsmann. They really like him over there. He's been a part of the Red Bull system ever since he came into the league, ever since he became a pro. Started at New York Red Bulls, went to Red Bull Salzburg, and now RB Leipzig. Because... You know, Red Bull likes to keep it in the family. <laughs> they're they're very they take their their uh, view on that from like the state of Missouri and Arkansas and stuff like that. We gotta keep it in the family. It's kind of what Red Bull thinks about this. Even though RB Leipzig won't ever call themselves Red Bull Leipzig because that's illegal in Germany and the Bundesliga to call yourself after a brand. Even though Wolfsburg's Volkswagen, but that's whatever. That's whatever. But that. Another thing with Tyler Adams, much like the same, it's the same thing with Pulisic. He's battled a lot of injuries, more so on the United States front than on RB Leipzig's front. And another thing, he struggles getting starts, a lot of starts. That's the same thing you could say for Zach Steffen as well. Zach Steffen, I think, should have gotten way more votes than zero <laughs> on this list as he's been the captain, what, he's been the captain like six times under Burhalter, where it has to be the most. Him and Long got to be right next to each other in regards to how many times they've been captain. And I am 100% down for Zach Steffen to be captain. But the thing with Steffen, I'm going to sound like a broken record here. He does not play for Manchester City. He plays in FA Cup games and the odd Premier League game. He does not play. You do not want your captain for your country to not play. I want. I would love Zach Steffen as captain. I saw that today on Twitter. I send that to my dad. Zach Steffen's captain, captain again. He said, you like that? I said, oh yeah, I like that. I'm cool with it. I'm down with it, is what I said. I love Zach Steffen. He's easily the best goalie they've had since Tim Howard. And they've had a few goalies since Tim Howard before you say Tim Howard only retired a few years ago. They've had a few goalies since Tim Howard. Mainly Brad Guzon. <clears throat> Can't believe that was a trend one point where Jurgen Klinsmann was convinced that Tim Howard was worse than Brad Guzan. <laughs> For that, because Tim Howard took a sabbatical. For those of you who don't know, took a year long sabbatical. And under Jurgen Klinsmann, you could not do that. Donovan did the same thing. And Landon Donovan got excommunicated from the United States men's national team. And Joe, Tim Howard did the exact same thing. And Jurgen just was like, we're going to keep Brad Guzan. We're going to ignore the fact that the United States lost to Jamaica <laughs> and the Gold Cup in the semifinals. But what was it, 2015? With Brad Guzan in that. We're going to ignore the fact that he was the goalie. I, I Actually, I shouldn't say this because I'm not 100% sure if he was the starting goalie against Trinidad and Tobago. Not 100% sure on that. So I'm not going to put that on Guzan. But Zach Steffen's a damn good goalie. And I would... I And he's the oldest. Another thing, he's the oldest out of this group. 
which is it's not that hard to do. And Zach Steffen's not that old himself. He's only 25. But Burhalter likes Steffen. And I would not be shocked if Zach Steffen was named the next U.S. men's national team captain. And same thing goes with Weston McKinney. If we're talking about form right now, I don't know if there's a lot of players on the U.S. that are in better form than Weston McKinney or viewed as highly by their club as Weston McKinney. Weston McKinney starts week in and week out with Juventus. There's been reports that they want to build around him and a few of their other young players on their team. They bought him on a permanent deal from Schalke. That was supposed to be like a one-off thing. Ah, he's just going to we have another American going abroad. Oh, he's going to go to a massive club, not really play. Because when I was younger, that was really the, the way things went. United States had big players, or United States level big players, go abroad and then not do anything. Breck Shea did that. He was, a, he was hot shit down in Dallas. And then what did he do in Europe, in England? Absolutely nothing. Clint Dempsey balled out for Fulham. He barely played for Tottenham. Landon Donovan went to Europe twice, or three times. I think he went to Leverkusen, Everton, and Bayern Munich and didn't do anything at any of those places. It's like, it was, I wasn't really expecting a lot. But I forget what era we are in the United States men's national team where, shit, we're, we're good. We got good players. And West McKinney's a damn good player. And West McKinney has been a captain for the underage level. If you look at Burhalter's biggest game as a manager, the 2019 Gold Cup, the final against Mexico and Chicago, Weston McKinney was the captain for that game. People on Twitter are crowning Weston McKinney as the next captain of the United States. But like most things on Twitter, things don't usually get agreed on. You have Pulisic fans, you have McKinney fans, Tyler Adams fans. Those are really the three you see the most of on social media. As far as who's going to be the next captain, it's either Adams, McKinney, or Pulisic. Adams, McKinney, or Pulisic. Pulisic, McKinney, Adams. McKinney, Adams, Pulisic. It's just everybody. But Zach Steffen is right there. And Zach Steffen's been the captain for a while the United States, whether Burhalter has announced it or not, which he hasn't, don't be surprised if he's named it. Now, this could be a similar situation to what happened with Manchester United when Louis van Gaal took over as manager. He had uh, Darren Fletcher be the captain in the preseason tour. Darren Fletcher was captain. Everybody knew Wayne Rooney was going to be named captain eventually, but he didn't announce anything. He was like, Darren Fletcher's captain, Darren Fletcher's captain, Darren Fletcher's captain. Oh, maybe Robin Van Persie's going to be captain. So he's the coach of the Dutch national team. Robin Van Persie was the captain of the Dutch national team. So maybe Robin Van Persie's captain. He was captain for Arsenal as well. But no, we all knew it was going to be Wayne Rooney. I think we all had reservations about different, or not reservations, opinions about if anybody else could be captain. That might be the situation we're in now where... Zach Steffen's been the captain. Aaron Long's been the captain. We all know Pulisic's going to be the captain. He's been dubbed Captain America for years now. But that lead of he's going to be the next captain over the years has shrunk a little bit with the emergence of Weston McKinney, with Tyler Adams, with Zach Steffen. And I'm not talking about how we just discovered them. They've just been bigger players now than what they were back then. Like, Tyler Adams was playing for a Red Bull Salzburg and New York Red Bulls. Zach Steffen was playing for Fortuna Dusseldorf and Columbus Crew. Weston McKinney was playing for Schalke, who is, for those of you who don't know, Borussia Dortmund's where Christian Pulisic played, their little brother. I don't want to make any Schalke fans mad, but they know it's true. It's fine. 
And Pulisic goes to Chelsea. But then McKinney goes to Juventus. Adams goes to RB Leipzig. Now Adams went to RB Leipzig before McKinney went to Juventus, but whatever. And Stefan makes the ginormous move to Manchester City, which shocked a lot of people. But he did it, and it's... I mean, Man City fans seem to be liking him. I hate that he plays for Man City. That's one of my least favorite teams, if not my... No, it's not. Liverpool is. But Man City's right up there. One of my best friends from high school, he was a Man City fan just because I hated them. And Yaya Toure, that was also his favorite player. So... Don't be surprised if these players pip Pulisic for captaincy. Now, Pulisic played very, very well today. In the 45 minutes he played, it was nice and just refreshing to see him back in the United States uniform. He hasn't played for the United States, it feels like, in forever. <laughs> I don't... When's the last... How much... He's had one cap, and that's counting today. Over the past two years for the United States. One he got 11 caps in 2019, got none in 2020, and then got one in 2021. So maybe that's another reason why people are starting to kind of fall off Pulisic as the captain because he hasn't been a part of the team. Stefan's been a constant. Aaron Long's been a constant. McKinney's been fairly constant. And Tyler Adams has been in and out. That's why I think it's probably between, if we're talking about consistently being with the United States men's national team, it's between McKinney and Stefan. But I would be I would be fine with everybody there. I would be fine. McKenny, I guess, has only played two games in 2020. So I, I forget what I said. But man, it's gonna be exciting. We're in an exciting time. Now Brazil doesn't have a captain. They rotate their captaincy between like Marcelo, Dani Alves, Neymar, Thiago Silva, Marquinhos, Fernandinho. These players, they they rotate the captaincy quite a bit down in Brazil. So maybe the United States does the same thing. Maybe they do. Maybe it works out for them. But And the armband doesn't... Re- just because you wear the armband doesn't mean... Or if you don't wear the armband doesn't mean you're not a leader. It's just, this is the guy we want representing. That's what the view is of the captaincy. It's a big time deal being the captain for your country especially. Club club is one thing. Country is another thing. Players like Clint Dempsey, Carlos Bocanegra, Claudio Reyna. They wore that thing with pride and it was very fun to watch these guys play for the United States and then Bradley ruined it maybe that's why he's, it's like the Raiders not wanting anybody to work too after Jeez, uh, Jamarcus Russell left the Raiders for like a few years because they didn't want that stink to rub up on their players but no I think that it's between those four if I had to rank them on likeliness of getting the captaincy eventually I don't think I could I think they're all neck and neck and neck and neck because it's four people they split a neck in four ways. They're all great players, which is fun. Very fun. And they all played. Well, I shouldn't say they haven't all played, obviously. McKinney and Adams didn't play. Travel restrictions and debt. But the United States, they played awesome today. Now, I they it was against Jamaica, who were fielding a team that was very travel restricted, that haven't played together. A lot of them were getting their first appearance to the national team. So it was expected the U.S. dominate this game. And they struggled with shots throughout the game. Giovanni Reina, he took a lot of very weird shots. You could tell he was getting very frustrated. He was getting visually frustrated throughout the game. Took a couple shots that sailed on him a few times throughout the game. Pulisic at times looked visually frustrated as well. But he only played 45 minutes. Aaron Long also only played 45 minutes as well. But, hey... 
They dominated the possession. And they looked good. Midfield looked very good. Serginho Dest was beautiful. And this is what we talked about in my blog post thing. That, hey, Serginho Dest, if you want to play him at right back or left back, he will be the best fullback the United States has. By far. And that showed today. Scored a beautiful goal. He's on some weird goal-scoring run right now. He scored two goals for Barcelona the other day, and now he scores his first goal for the United States with a beautiful curler cutting in from the left-back spot. That's when I, I played left-back my last year of playing soccer because I wanted to do that. I love being right-footed and attacking and then cutting in and taking shots. The United States, for years, has had a left-back problem where they had to convert people to left-backs. So people are kind of hoping that Anthony Robinson takes that eventually. But we don't really know if he will or not. No one really knows if he's going to. Because, you know, he's been all right for Fulham. He's been all right. But it's... If they feel like Dest is the best option, you saw what him and Pulisic did today. Oh, him and Pulisic... And this was another thing. I would like to add, since I just brought Pulisic and Dest working together, he played Pulisic on the wing and Jonas Musa in the midfield. That was one thing that really stuck out to me. And with Dest, this is why I think they might use Dest on the left side to partner Pulisic. Dest attacks so much and can cut in and do all that stuff that Pulisic can have that freedom to kind of just roam around that left to middle side of the field. Not really just strictly dominating the left side of the field. That's what Dest did. Dest and Pulisic had some great link-up plays throughout the game. Throughout the first 45 minutes, I guess to say. Dest also got substituted, I think, at the 70th minute, somewhere around there. But he looked awesome. Dest looked great. Uh, Reggie Cannon looked all right at the right-back spot. It's really about... It's not really about where you want to play Dest. It's who takes that fullback spot. Cannon or Robinson. Because they're the only two people... Brian Reynolds is up there as well. But... I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with that fullback spot. No one really knows what's going to happen there. Because, again, throughout the history of the United States, at least the past few years with the United States men's national team, they had to field Fabian Johnson at left back, who is one of my favorite players of all time for the United States with his versatility and what he did for the team playing left back, right back, wing, whatever. He did everything for the United States. Then you had DeMarcus Beasley coming out of retirement to play left back. And then he played for two more years after that, it felt like. Maybe even a little bit longer. Played left back in the MLS for the last part of his career. You had rotations with, like, Carlos Bocanegra sometimes playing left back. You didn't really have left backs for the United States. Now, they had right backs. They've usually had a pretty solid foundation at right back. Steve Trundolo was the right back for years for the United States. Unquestioned right back. For the United States. And then right after him, then you had a couple little issues because you had rotation there. Fabian Johnson would play there. DeAndre Yedlin when he was still part of the United States fold, which sounds like Burhalter's getting around to DeAndre Yedlin again after he's been spending time in Turkey playing very well from what I could tell. And then Tyler Adams played right back for a little bit. Kellen Acosta played right back for a little bit. There's all these rotation pieces at right back and left back, but... They've got people that can play the positions now. Whether it's Dest, whether it's Robinson, whether it's Cannon, Reynolds, Tim Ream, any of these guys, they'll be fine with the fullback spot, which makes me very comfortable. 
They're very fine at the defensive part, too. The set, just the entire defense is fine. Just need to figure out a set rotation. I think there's three locks, Long, Brooks, and Dest. And then if you want to play Le- Dest at left back, you play Cannon. If you play Dest at right back, you play Robinson. The back five, and I'm including Stefan in that, is essentially set. We know who the players are. We just don't know who's going to start in those positions, okay? The midfield, I like that Jonas Musa played in the midfield. He was very creative today. Him and Sebastian Legett worked very well together. Legett is probably Burhalter's favorite player, which has been well documented for a few years now. He can do everything for you. He hasn't scored two late goals in the game to make it 4-1. And everybody should like Sebastian Legette. He put in some very nice balls today from crosses as well. Now, towards the end of the game, he didn't do it as well, but beginning of the game, he was looking very good. But he's a great uh, engine for the United States. Brendan Aronson came in for Pulisic playing on the left wing, got a goal in the game. It looked very lively, made a couple very good passes. Josh Sargent looked very good as well with his assist to Brendan Aronson, which was a great assist. Now, he didn't score. But the assist was very nice for Josh Sargent. Uh, Reyna, we already talked about. He was a little shaky throughout the game. Yeah. Kellen Acosta didn't really do a lot. He was playing as a number six, which, as I mentioned in my blog post, he's not a number six, but he could deploy there, and that's where he played today. Was at a defensive midfield spot. For those of you who don't know what number six stands for. All in all, great game. Uh, they got caught out on a counterattack by Jamaica after a corner kick and the Jamaican player chipped Zach Steffen to score that happens it happens they moved on and scored two more goals after that they're fine 4-1 victory they played Northern Ireland on Sunday so you got two United States games to watch now one's a friendly one's you know actually means something an Olympic qualifier but there's two fun games to watch so Northern Ireland Uh, I think that's an 11, and then the United States versus whoever they play, Canada or Honduras, will be later in the day. But it's fun. I've said this before, and I'll continue saying it. This is a very fun time to be a United States soccer fan. Very fun time. Like, if you haven't been on the bandwagon before, get on it now. Because you didn't have to put up with the shit I had to put up with. A lot of other United States men's national team fans had to put up when we were younger. One of my best friends, Noah... I played him some horror shows on YouTube one night of the United States trying to play. I remember one game that I was super excited for. It was United States versus Brazil. It was the Waldo jerseys. For those of you who are wondering, those Waldo, that's my favorite United States jersey of all time. The Waldo jersey. Now, I really like the ones they have now. I like the all-white stuff they have. But those Waldo jerseys were beautiful. And it's, I like the player, but it's bad when Hercules Gomez was your best informed player at the time. And Bobby Wood, that was Bobby Wood, essentially, for the more recent United States fans. That was Bobby Wood before Bobby Wood. And they played Brazil, and they just played them off the frickin' field. It was Neymar, Marcelo, it was all their big boys. Or not all of them, but there was a few big boys in there. They had their backup goalie in there, but... Intimidating. But I was so excited for that game. And then they lost 4-1. <laughs> but hey, they they tried, I think. Agochiani Ewu was there, which was weird. Juan Torres was playing at left back, I think, which was not his position. But man, what a weird time. Man. But yeah, get on the bandwagon if you haven't already. I would very much recommend it. And I would like to say that I got a response to one of my, my 
quiz post, not quiz, my poll post. It was from a friend from high school. He is a Chelsea fan, okay? So I am not surprised he responded to this. He said, come on, this is easy. He didn't even need to say it. I already knew he was voting for Pulisic. I mean, it's pretty obvious. If you're a Chelsea fan saying, come on, this is easy in regards to the United States national team captaincy, I don't think you're voting for Weston McKinney. <laughs> I think he voted for Pulisic. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty confident he voted for Christian Pulisic. Now, I'm again, I'm down with all of them. Down with all of them. So, yeah, fun games. Fun games to the United States. There's a lot of other international games going on, Euro qual- or World Cup qualifiers going on in Europe right now. So you had Spain v. Greece. They tied today. Sweden beat Georgia. Zlatan's illustrious return to the Swedish national team. England, surprisingly, beat San Marino 5-0 as they do all the freaking time. Iceland lost to Germany 3-0. Italy beat Northern Ireland 2-0. The team the United States is going to play on Sunday. Denmark beat Israel 2-0. Scotland and Austria tied 2-2. Yeah, pretty exciting stuff there. And yesterday... We had the Turkish national team destroying Netherlands 4-2. Yilmaz got a hat trick in the game, which is fun. Norway, jeez, beat Gibraltar 3-0. Wales lost to Belgium 3-1. Czech Republic beat Estonia 6-2. Serbia beat Ireland, the Republic, not Northern Ireland, 3-2. Bosnia and Finland tied 2-2. France and Ukraine drew 1-1. And Croatia lost to Slovenia 1-0. So those are some scores going around the world of soccer or football, whatever you want to call it. We'll talk about the NFL draft in a little bit because we're in the, for a lot of you listening to Logan Blackman show, this might be a little unfamiliar territory here. We don't, we've taught soccer quite a bit, but I don't think we've dedicated at least this year 40 minutes to soccer yet. Now, I love talking soccer. It's my, I, I played soccer and I've played soccer longer than any other sport I've ever played. I played soccer right when I enrolled in Johnston, Johnston schools, first grade, my dad got me a soccer jersey from Soccer Connection, a Johnston Rec soccer jersey, because we had a family down the street that was starting a rec team, and my dad happened to meet him and then played rec soccer, played the rest of my lo- my school life until college. But I love soccer. It's been one of my favorite sports forever. I got my dad hooked on. My papa, he makes fun of soccer, but he always watches the World Cup. He always watches the U.S. when they have a big game. I don't expect him to watch it when they're just playing, like, you know, Jamaica. But when they're playing World Cup, he watched the Ghana game. He watched the Portugal game, the Germany game, the 2014 World Cup. I don't know. He watched the Belgium game, too, because we watched that upstairs. So he watched all the last World Cup, (laughs) which is cool. I like doing that. My grandpa, he really likes watching soccer as well, so he tells me. But, yeah, I love the United States men's national team, and I would hope... That all of you get on the bandwagon now. Now. Because there are going to be some exciting games coming up. Going to be some exciting games. Gold Cup qual- or Gold Cup will be coming up this summer, I believe. And the Olympics. Whew, just make sure they get there. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm getting overconfident going to the World Cup. Because I don't want to make that sound. Because I, I might have seemed overconfident going to the 2014 World Cup. But my views have been checked since the 2014 World Cup, or 2018 World Cup, because, you know, if you lose to Trinidad, if the United States cannot make it out of their qualifying group, and Panama does, there's some problems. So we're going to check ourselves before we, like we did then, wreck ourselves. So hopefully, the United States makes it this time. But they, I, this team's so much better than the team that lost to 
Trinidad and Tobago that year. This team is so much better. But moving on, we've got some exciting, exciting stuff. Baseball is a week away. Yes, very exciting stuff. We've got Major League Baseball back. I feel like I'm getting updates about spring training every single day. So it's nice to know that actual baseball is coming back. So I'm very excited. I mean actual baseball. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We get actual games, not spring training games. And people like spring training. I, for one, like spring training as well. But it'll be nice to watch, you know, an actual game of baseball where it actually means something instead of spring training. So yes, April 1st, 2021, opening day. I guess six days away for you guys now, but it's a week away for me at that as the time I'm recording this show. So without further ado, let's just get into some MLB season predictions. Now we've got predictions for the top teams in each division, the middle teams in each division, or the worst teams in each division. We've also got playoff predictions and awards to give out as well. Now I would like to stress this. I think that the tops of each division and the bottoms of each division are fairly easy to do. Like, there's a lot of... Divi- all these divisions have a clear best team and a clear worst team, in my opinion. Now, that could... You guys might think differently of that, but in my opinion, the top teams of these divisions and the bottom teams are, like, o- almost locks, essential locks. So, starting off in the AL East, the Yankees will win the division and the Orioles will come in last. I think that's just been a... It's been a thing for feels like forever. Maybe not the Yankees winning the division, but the Orioles coming in last is, like dead set in others ever since Davis won the MVP can't my his first Chris Davis ever since he won the MVP they have been straight downhill ever since they gave him that massive contract it's been over for the Orioles they have a beautiful baseball field come uh wow oh my god Camden Yards good lord I was completely blanking on what what ballpark the Orioles played but the Yankees will win. Orioles will come in last. Second to four, Rays, Blue Jays, Red Sox. I think the Red Sox maybe surprised some people this year, but I like a lot of the young players the Blue Jays have on their roster, or at least on their, not well, obviously on their roster, but just at their disposal. Obviously got Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio. They got Marcus Simeon as well, who was runner-up of the MVP a few years ago, if you remember that. They also got George Springer coming in this offseason, the big offseason acquisition from the Houston Astros. And the biggest offseason acquisition they got, Tyler Chatwood. So just because of Tyler Chatwood, they will fit. Now, the battle between third and second could be close, but I give it to the Rays, even though they lost Blake Snell, and they just went to the World Series. They still got some very good players on their team. They still got some very good players on the team, and I expect them to finish just behind the New York Yankees in the AL East. For the AL Central, I think it's the White Sox division to lose, and I think the Tigers are usually coming last. I think that's pretty self-explanatory as well. I think the White Sox are there now. They Eloy Jimenez. This is big news coming out today. It's going to be out. Uh, I don't want to get this wrong, but it's either five to six weeks or five to six months, which is two totally different measurements here. But either way. It's gonna. That's a big loss. Losing Eloy Jimenez for the White Sox for any period of time will be tough. But they've still got some damn good players. Most notably, Tim Anderson, who is one of the hipster picks to win the MVP this year in the AL. They also got Lucas Giolito there as well. Yasmani Grandal, 
Yoan Moncada, Luis Robert. Like they've got some good players. Andrew Vaughn is one of the people that they're expecting to be a rookie of the year candidate. Or not expecting to be a candidate. He'll be a candidate. But he's one of the people where people are going one of the players people are saying could win the AL rookie of the year this year. Yeah. And they've also got a very experienced manager in Tony LaRusso. Whatever you think about him, he is experienced. He's won a World Series before. And I, for one, I've wrote a paper about him. I think he's a total a-hole. So I my opinions, my I, my hatred for the White Sox has gone up, especially since he managed the Red the St. Louis Cardinals. But they're the White Sox are good. They're good. And the the Jeez, the Minnesota Twins will come second, Indians third, Kansas City Royals fourth, Tigers fifth. The Tigers stink. They're just atro- atrocious. Atrocious. They've been bad for a while now, but they're really bad. So I think I'm, I'm fairly confident saying the Detroit Tigers will come in last in this division. Now, the Royals, they've made some moves this offseason to get Andrew Benintendi from the Boston Red Sox this season. They still got Jorge Soler on there. Whit Merrifield's still there. Adalberto Mondesi is still there. They just signed Salvador Perez to a pretty decent-sized contract. So I think they'll fit just pip the Detroit Tigers for last player, second-to-last place in the division. I think the Indians still got a little bit of stuff in there, and I like the Twins. Not very much in the playoffs, but just as a, you know, a team. I like the Twins. For the AL West, again, pretty simple. I think the Astros will win it. I think the Rangers, or not the Rangers, sorry, Rangers fans. The Mariners will come in last. And then the A's come in second, followed by the Angels and then the Rangers. That's the order. I think my, I love Mike Trout. I think everybody in the world loves Mike Trout. I think he's one of those players that is just universally loved. I don't think there's a lot of people that can say a lot of bad things about Mike Trout. I think we all love him. Now they're going to hope Shohei Atani stays healthy. They got Anthony Rendon still there. They got Dexter Fowler there. Signing this offseason or getting traded from the Cardinals. So him and Joe Madden are back together. But, yeah. Still don't have a lot of pitching. That's their big problem. Still don't have a lot of pitching. I like the A's over the Angels in that. So just recapping the AL. We go Yank in the AL East. Yankees win the AL East. Followed by the Rays, Blue Jays, Red Sox, and Orioles. The Central goes Chicago White Sox. Twins, Indians, Royals, Tigers. In the AL West, we got the Astros... A's, Angels, Rangers, Mariners. Now moving to the NL. I'm going to leave the NL East for last because that's the best division in baseball. So we're going to talk about the other leagues right now. I'm going to talk about the other leagues. So moving to the AL, NL West, we'll just go in reverse order. So we go West, Central, East. I think this one's probably the easiest one to predict out of all of them. (laughs) The Dodgers winning, the Rockies coming in last. I think that's pretty... It's pretty self-explanatory. I think we all know why the Rockets are coming last. I think we all know why the Astros, who just got richer this offseason, are going to win the division yet again. I think this is going on 30 years of them winning the division, it feels like. Remember the Giants were good and won, what, two or three World Series in the mid-2000s? Two. But, man, Dodgers are winning it, and then the Padres are just right behind them. They made two big moves this offseason, getting Blake Snell and New Darvish this offseason, which will be big they got an MVP candidate and uh for geez, Fernando Tatis like they're I mean they're gonna be right behind them it's not it's not gonna be like a, I mean it might be a landslide but I don't think it'll be as big as it is usually where they're like 30 games better than the team in second place I think they'll be about 20 games better no they'll probably be 15 games better and then the Diamondbacks and Giants I, you could throw those two in any order I don't care I think we know the Dodgers are winning 
Padres second, Rockies last, and then however, whatever order you want to put the Diamondbacks and Giants, I don't really care. Moving to the Central, Cardinals, I hate to say it, probably going to win the division. Getting Nolan Arenado hurt the soul this offseason. You never want to see a player that was constantly linked to your team go to a rival, especially when it's a hated rival. Oh, man, that just stings. It hurts a lot seeing Nolan Arenado go to the dreaded St. Louis Cardinals. Now, obviously got Rookie of the Year candidate in Dylan Carlson. We'll see if Matt Carpenter can regain some sort of form that he had like three years ago but doesn't seem to have anymore. Jack Flaherty is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Tommy Edmonds, a versatile player. They still got Paul Goldschmidt, who just rakes against the NL Central for some reason and the NL Central only. Paul DeYoung is still there. Stable spot at shortstop. Like the, I think the Cardinals are winning, but I think the Braves will challenge them. Braves made some interesting moves this offseason as well. After not doing anything last offseason or two, however many offseasons. No, it was last offseason where they just let everybody go and didn't bring back anybody or just didn't sign anybody. They got Colton Wong in. This offseason, and they also brought in Jackie Bradley Jr. and Dan Vogelbach, who was a former Cubs player, former Mariners player, is on the team as well. And if they can keep Christian Yelich healthy, healthy, and they'll be fine. I think the the Brewers come in second, and then the Chicago Cubs come in third. My team, the Chicago Cubs, again, if they finish anything better than third, I'll be happy. If they finish worse than third, I'll be depressed. But I won't be surprised. <laughs> I it hurts. Sometimes when you look at the moves they made and some of the players that are leaving, it's like, oh, man, why'd that player have to leave? Like, Kyle Schwarber was one of my favorite players. We made a whole show essentially just crying about Kyle Schwarber leaving. It's painful to see your favorite players leave. And I know Kyle Schwarber is not the greatest player of all time, but I loved Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber worked so hard to get where he was right now. He came in as a flat, fat blob playing catcher to a slim down version outfielder that can hit for power and has a very underrated arm. Now, he makes an odd error in the outfield, but he has a nice arm, very underrated arm. And they replaced him, and I'm not, I'm actually, I kind of like this, Jock Peterson, who is a similar style of player to Kyle Schwarber. He's more athletic than Kyle Schwarber. He's not as big as Schwarber, but he can hit. He had a little bit of a down year last year, but again, a lot of players had a lot, had down years last year, especially pretty much Every player on the Chicago Cubs, apart from Ian Happ and you, Darvish, had a down year. <laughs> Every player, it seemed like. But Ian Happ still there. All the big boys are still there. Bryant, Baez, Rizzo. Second base still kind of scares me a little bit. They got Eric Sogard in there for some experience. But it's probably just going to be a rotational thing between Horner and David Bodie. I don't know who's going to start opening day at second base. But... I think most of these guys, you know who's going to start. Like We know Contreras is going to start, Rizzo's going to start first, Bryant third, Bias short, Jock Peterson left, Hap center, Hayward th- right field. We know that's happening. Second base is the only one I have questions about. Pitching, I mean, I, I mean we always have pitching about the Cubs. because We always have questions about the Cubs pitching, so that's just a st- standard thing. Lost you, Darvish. Let John Lester go. We brought in Zach Davies. You brought in Trevor Williams. I'm fine with Zach Davies. He's nowhere near the level pitcher of you, Darvish, but he's a good pitcher. Trevor Williams, a nice pitcher. Good later rotation kind of guy. And then brought back Jake Arrieta. It's like nostalgia factor here. It's nice. We love having Jake Arrieta back. Every Cubs fan should love having Jake Arrieta back. He's one. 
He's given some Cubs fans some great memories. Won the Cy Young, mashed a dinger against Madison Bumgarner. I think it was Madison Bumgarner. Yeah, it had to be Madison Bumgarner. Against the Giants in the playoffs. Like, I love that. But am I expecting World Series or bust? No. The Cubs screwed up their World Series window. We know that to be true. We've talked about that pretty much ad nauseum here on the show. Not recently, but we have done it in the past. Their World Series window shut. If they win it this year, good for them. I, t- I mean, I don't think anybody thinks they're going to win the World Series, but hey, any- the crazy things happen all the time. Who would have thought the Tampa Bay Rays were going to the World Series? Now, they did have Blake Snell and a lot of other really good pitchers there as well, but something the Cubs don't have <laughs> and a very good farm system, which the Cubs don't have either, but not a lot of people expected them to go to the World Series. I think we can all agree on that. I think it was everybody was like Yankees are bust pretty much for the World Series last year. But, you know, the Cubs, the I have reasoned, I don't know. Third place, I'll take. It's not what you ever want, but it's better than losing 100 games a year like I did, like they did when we were younger, okay? Now, I am one of those people, one of those weird, weird, weird Cubs fans that actually likes the old 100-loss teams because there wasn't so many annoying Cubs fans out there. People, Cubs fans popped up out of nowhere, after they won the World Series, which I was not surprised about. You're from, if we're in Iowa, naturally, people are just going to gravitate towards the Cubs if they start getting good. Like, oh, I'm from Iowa. We have the I-Cubs. Oh, uh, yeah. And there's a huge Chicago connection between Chicago and the University of Iowa. So, it, oh, it makes sense to be a Cubs fan. But people that I knew weren't Cubs fans, that's where it surprised me. Me and one of my friends, Spencer, who we talked about on the show before, big-time Cubs fans. We made fun of the Cubs throughout our time in middle school and high school. That was like what we did. It was like just a little therapeutic, I guess. It was nice to complain about your team with another friend. Because he had the that was the only team that I had. Well, I mean, the Bills sucked. But I had the Blackhawks. The Bulls were decent at that time. The Rose won the MVP, but the Cubs stunk. So, and you had fun players. Stalin Castro was my favorite player on the Cubs at that time. Education of a shortstop. I have that Sports Illustrated cover on my bulletin board up in my room still. He was 21 years old. The Jay Cutler of baseball is what I've always called him. Darwin Barney was one of my favorite players. I have a Darwin Barney signed baseball. I love Darwin Barney. Marlon Byrd. Aramis Ramirez. Giovanni Soto. Felix P.A. Tony Campana. Reed Johnson. <laughs> like all these. Brian LaHare. Ian Stewart. This is what we want as Cubs fans. Aris Mendy Alcantara. Junior Lake. These are the players you want as Cubs fans. <laughs> not, not Chris Bryant. Javier Baez. No, I'm joking. Thank you for being a Chicago Cubs player. But I did love Junior Lake. I remember people talking about Junior Lake like he was the second coming before Chris Bryant was the second coming. Bleacher Report is hyping up Junior Lake to be a shortstop for the Cubs, and then they just put him out in the left field. This is a common theme for the Cubs. I'm just now realizing it. They always have one player in the outfield that's not an outfielder, but they're just using him to keep him in the team. Brian LaHare was that. When Rizzo got called up, they moved LaHare from first base to right field, and then to Korea, I think that's where he went, or China, not China, Japan, I think is where Brian LaHare went. Then you had... Uh, like I just said, Junior Lake was in left field. Kyle Schwarber was in left field. Chris Bryant's played left field. Ian Happ. Well, I guess Ian Happ now is an outfielder, but at the time when he was getting called up, 
was a middle infielder. He was a shortstop second baseman. Now he's a center fielder full-time. But man, those were fun times. I get uh, the, They're not great players, but you love looking back at those times and going, that was fun. That was really fun. I enjoyed watching bad baseball. Because when they won, it meant so much more because you didn't have any expectations of winning. But now when you have expectations of winning and they don't win, it hurts. But when you have expectations of losing and they lose, you're like, oh, well, we'll get them next time. My first Cubs game was against the Dodgers. Anthony Rizzo and Junior Lake both smashed two dingers in the game. The Cubs lost 6-4. Two players hit two dingers and they lost. And that was like Yasiel Puig's big time. That was when he first got called up. And my dad and I jokingly turned to each other. I think it was like the eighth inning or something like the eighth or ninth inning. And my dad and I jokingly turned to each other. Oh, man, this guy's not any good. He sucks. He's a terrible baseball player. Then smack. Destroyed a baseball. Chris Russin was the pitcher for the Chicago Cubs that day. The Dodgers were just all right. Adrian Gonzalez was there at the time. I think Chase Utley was there. Maybe not Chase Utley at that time. But David DeJesus was the leadoff hitter for the Chicago Cubs. Wellington Castillo. Omar Navarez was the catcher. I think Omar Navarez was the catcher that day. But man, I kind of like looking back at those times and going, man, that was that was weird. <laughs> I have a Junior Lake jersey. I don't know where it is, but man, that I this is really random. There's a lot of things we talk about in the Logan Blackman show, but I saw, I'd never seen this before, and I sent a picture to Spencer when I saw it. When I was at William Penn, people might not even know this person existed because he barely, I think he played maybe two games for the Chicago Cubs. A Josh Vitter's jersey. Does anybody, how did she get a Josh Vitter's jersey? That was like freaking Logan Watkins as well. And who was number seven? Um, Center fielder. I can't remember his name to save my life, but... Josh Vitters and Logan Watkins, and there was a center fielder who was number seven. I can't remember his name to save my life, but man, those were the two. That was iCubs te- dream team right there. iCubs dream team. And then, you know, you had this other player named. Uh, he didn't really turn out to be anything, so I'm not really upset that the Cubs traded him away. I mean, what? They got some. They got Ian Stewart out of it, so I mean, it didn't really hurt that bad. Have you guys heard of. DJ, I think it's LeMayhew. He hasn't really turned out to be anything, so it's not like I was upset or anything when the Cubs traded him away for he and Stewart. Ugh. Hey, Tyler Colvin went over with him, so it was fine. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Why did you have to trade DJ LeMayhew for Ian Stewart? Out of all the players you could trade it for, Ian Stewart. And DJ LeMay, he was a free agent. He didn't bring him home. As you have a need at second base. Oh, man, that hurts. DJ LeMay, he was one of my favorite players. I I wish he stayed on the Cubs. I mean, that's speaking in hindsight. I remember watching his debut. He's number 33. This beanpole of a player for the Chicago Cubs. I, I'm talking about the Chicago Cubs too much. But I, this is venting. The Cubs were supposed to be in the World Series consistently ever since they won in 2016, and now they're just barely making the playoffs. Now I'm predicting there'll be a third seed in the Central. Back to the worst division in baseball, the Chicago Cubs. They're in El Central. We got the Reds finishing fourth, the Pirates finishing fifth. I, th- that's easy. I don't think we really need to talk about that that much. And Nick Castellanos, that's another one I wish we 
Cubs head back, you know. <laughs> Love seeing him play for the Reds, though. It's very cool. Very cool of Nick to go there. But, yeah, I think everybody knows the Pirates are coming in the last Pirates suck. They might be the worst team in baseball this year. I don't know. It's going to be close. It's close. Be- it's going to be close between them and the Rockies. I don't know. Very tight race between the Rockies and the, the Pirates is the worst team in baseball. And then the NL East, Braves, Mets, Cap- Caps, Nationals, Phillies, Marlins. I mean, it's the best of it. It's the most evenly contested division in baseball. The Marlins just made the playoffs last year, and I'm saying they finished last in the division. I think if everybody's healthy and fully clicking, the Nats and Phillies should finish above them in the in the standings. I think it's between, really, the Braves and the New York Mets as the best team in the division because the Mets just... I mean, they have the richest owner in baseball now, so it makes sense that they made a bunch of big moves and tried to make some moves to get their roster as one of the most competitive rosters in the MLB, and they've successfully done that. I mean, you got players like Pete Alonso there. They got James McCann coming over from the White Sox, who kind of got unfairly dropped for Yasmani Grandal. I mean, he was a good player when he was playing full-time at catcher, and then he got relegated to basically playing just DH. Now he's playing full-time catcher again. Jeff McNeil, one of the best contact hitters in baseball. J.D. Davis, Francisco Lindor. Dominic Smith starting to get some consistency. Michael Conferto. We got Jonathan VR this offseason as well. I think they got him this offseason. Yeah. Brandon Nimmo there as well. They obviously got Jacob DeGrom. Marcus Stroman. They got Taiwan Walker this offseason. Carlos Carrasco. Hopefully Edwin Diaz is back to old, you know, Edwin Diaz self when he was in Seattle versus what he is now. Yeah, Mets, the Mets should be competitive. They should actually be competitive. I know the Mets are, you know, the Mets. They're kind of like the Jets, you know. Makes sense to why they're called similar things. So, yeah, I think the uh, people are saying the Mets will win this division. I just think the Braves have too much on their roster to lose this division. I love Jacob DeGrom. He's kind of like Mike Trout where everybody just kind of unanimously says they're the best player at their position. Mike Trout, regardless of position, I guess, but Jacob DeGrom's the best pitcher in baseball. I think most people can agree on that. But, you know, I like the Braves a lot. Ronald Acuna is one of my favorite players in the MLB. You got Freddie Freeman fresh off an MVP. So I've, I think the Braves are a great team. The Braves should win this division. I think they got the better manager in Brian Snitker. They got... Like, their best player is better than the Mets' best player in regards to, like, field. I know Jacob DeGrom's the best player in between both teams, but, like, in the field. Ronald Acuna versus Francisco Lindor. I mean, it's a toss-up, but I'm going to lean, for potential-wise, I'm going to go with, it sounds blasphemous, really, just to say someone's, geez, that's weird. But, yeah, that's my prediction for the NL. Reminder, the NL West, Dodgers, Padres, Diamondbacks, Giants, Rockies, NL Central, Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs, Reds, Pirates, NL East, Braves, Mets, Nats, Phillies, Marlins. Okay? That's my MLB predictions for the regular season for the playoffs. We've got the A's and the Twins making the wild card from the NL or the AL side with the Twins beating the A's and the Yankees beating the Twins because, you know, that's per usual. I should say the A's beat the, Yan- the Twins because the Twins haven't won a playoff game in oh, 17 years. Is it something like that? It's a really funny statistic. It's them and the Pistons have these really weird and long-standing playoff droughts. Not necessarily not going to the playoffs, just winning in the playoffs. But uh, I think they could win this year. I think they can beat the A's, hopefully. Might change that. And then the White Sox versus the Astros. They have the White Sox beating the Astros and the Yankees beating the White Sox to go to the World Series. I think it's the same predictions I had last year. I'm not going to BS any time with this one. We all know the Dodgers are going to the World Series again. We all know this. There's no sense at trying to predict 
anybody else goes to the World Series other than the Dodgers. So we got the Mets versus the Phillies in the wild card game, or the Pod- Mets versus Padres in the wild card game. Padres beat them, lose to the Dodgers. Braves beat the Cardinals. Dodgers beat the Braves. Just like, it's every year. It's how every year ends. Dodgers beat the Braves, the NLCS, and then go to the World Series. But now the Dodgers are by far the best team in baseball, and they win 4-2. That's why I think the Dodgers win the World Series in six games. Mookie bets the MVP. That's the World Series. That's the playoffs. I think it's, I mean, I think everybody can kind of agree on that. It's not like I'm reaching here to say that the Yankees and Dodgers are going to go to the World Series and the Dodgers win. I don't think that's, that shouldn't sound too crazy. If it does, I'm sorry. Then you probably need to get something checked. For awards, AL MVP, Mike Trout. I have Tim Anderson there as the number two guy. I just want to mention a second guy just in case my first guy doesn't win it. But Mike Trout, if he's healthy, he's the best player in baseball. It's uh, it's unanimous. AL Cy Young, I'm going to give it to Lucas Giolito because I, I, Garrett Cole is going to be mentioned up there as well. He's got the guy I put in second here. But Giolito is so much better than every pitcher they have on their rotation that I think Giolito will get the edge because I've heard this a lot about if you have a deep rotation, the more or less likely you are to win the Cy Young Award because your rotation is so good. You saw that that hurt the Cubs a few years ago when you had Kyle Hendricks, Jake Arrieta, and John Lester all in the Cy Young Award, but none of them got it because those three were all in the same rotation. I think Gio, Lucas Giolito should win the Cy Young. AL Rookie of the Year, Randy Rosarina, I, I'm trying to say his name right. He'll win the Rookie of the Year. He's like 26 years old. He'll win the Rookie of the Year. And then Wander Franco, another Rays player, should finish second or around second. He's a shortstop prospect, should finish around there. And the manager of the year I'm going to give to Aaron Boone, especially with the the health situation he's in, from what it sounds like. I think it would be really cool if he got manager of the year. And then Tony Russo, the White Sox win their division and make it far in the playoffs, should be mentioned up there as well. Regardless of what, Again, regardless of what you think of him. NL MVP. Ronald Acuna, I think it's about time he gets a hand on the MVP, and I think Fernando Tatis is right there. I'm not, there's a, it could be a coin flip, and you could sway me on who I think should win the MVP between Acuna and Fernando Tatis. They're right next to each other, but I'm going to give it to Ronald Acuna. He's my favorite, one of my favorite players. I mean, Tatis is too, but I just love watching Ronald Acuna. And I'll Cy Young, same with Mike Trout if he's healthy, Jacob DeGrom will win it. I have Walker Bueller. Finishing second, but the same thing goes for what I said earlier. The Dodgers rotation is even stronger than what it was in the past. You just added freaking Trevor Bauer. So, unless everybody sucks in the rotation, I don't really think a Dodgers guy will win it, but I just want to mention a Dodgers guy because Walker Buehler is a good pitcher. NL Rookie of the Year, I'm going to give it to Ian Anderson. He's a pitcher for the Braves. We had a pitcher win the AL Rookie of the Year last... No, we had a pitcher win the NL Rookie of the Year last year, if I remember right. So I'm going to do it again. Ian Anderson, a Braves pitcher. He's one of their better pitchers last year in the time he played. I think he should develop into a, one of the better starters in their, just in the league, hopefully. At least win the best rookie. And then Cabrian Hayes, Pirates third baseman. A lot of people are saying him. So I'll jump on the bandwagon just to list him second. Just to, Pirates have to have something good. He's pretty much been unanimous that I've seen as far as rookie of the year goes for the NL. But the Pirates being so bad, I don't think it'll... I mean, it'd be impressive if you want it, but I just don't see it. But I'll mention him. And then manager of the year, I'll give it to Brian Snicker, the Braves manager. And then Jace Tingler, the Padres manager, will give him second spot there. So just to recap the awards, AL MVP, Mike Trout, Cy Young, Julito, uh, AL Rookie of the Year, Randy Arozarena, 
and Manager of the Year Aaron Boone. For the NL, we have Ronald Acuna winning MVP, Jacob DeGrom, Cy Young, and a Rookie of the Year Ian Anderson and Brian Snicker winning the Manager of the Year. So we got three Braves winning awards in the NL. But man, I think Tim Anderson and Fernando Tatis could challenge for those two MVP spots as well. I think it's very easy to say those two could win that. For the other ones, I'm pretty confident in. Yeah, I'm pretty confident in the other ones. But I could see a world where, you know, Tim Anderson or Fernando Tatis wins the MVP this year. No one expected, at least to my understanding, Jose Abreu and Freddie Freeman to win the MVP last year. So, at least I'm saying at the beginning of the year. So maybe we have one of those again. Maybe we have one of those again. Where a player at the beginning of the year... Not, not a lot of people expected to win the MVP. Comes out and wins the MVP. Be pretty cool. I'd be down for that. I'd be, chi- I'd be chill with that. So, yeah. That's all I've got for you for my MLB predictions. But before we go, I released my player rankings for each position. I'll just run through these really quick. I'm not going to go in-depth about them. At least I hope I don't. So, with the quarterbacks, I, we got to talk about football in some capacity in the Logan Black. Which, I mean, it's kind of necessary that we do that. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, number one for quarterback. Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, 2A and 2B. Trey Lance, and then Mac Jones. I think we're going off potential. I'd rank Trey Lance one, but we're not doing that. We're ranking them how they look right now. Uh, running backs, Travis Etienne and Najee Harris are 1A, 1B. Javante Williams, Michael Carter from North Carolina are 3 and 4. And then Trey Sermon from Ohio State's 4 or 5. So that's the same list as last time. Wide receivers, 1A, 1B, 1C is Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith. Receivers, Number four, Kadarius Toney. Number five, Rashad Bateman. Slash Terrace Marshall Jr. for LSU. I couldn't decide between the two. But you could also mention Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. Rondell Moore, if you want to mention him as well. Monroe St. Brown. Dwayne Eskridge, who had a very good pro day from what I heard today. So you can mention all these guys if you really wanted to. Tight ends. I think this is pretty much the same list as last time. Kyle Pitts, number one. Pat Fryermuth from Penn State, number two. Brevin Jordan from Miami at 300 long from Boston College 4, and Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame at 5. At tackle, I flipped around one person in this. We have Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater's 1A, 1B. Christian Darrisaw at number 3. I put Tevin Jenkins at 4, and Jalen Mayfield at 5. But Liam Eikenberg should be mentioned at that 5 spot. I think Mayfield, if you want potential, would be ranked at number 5, because he's the youngest, I think he's the youngest tackle in this draft. But Eikenberg... He's probably the best pass protector, not named Sewell or Slater. If you look at the stuff that he did at Notre Dame, it's it's pretty damn impressive on what he did for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I got to see if I still have his. Yeah, there it is. I have a screenshot on my computer. Liam Eikenberg, the only tackle not to allow a sack on 400 plus block pass blocking snaps this season, and I'm thinking it's even more than that. I think they have a specific number, but I don't see the. I don't think I, I don't have the stat anymore. No, I did. It's something crazy. Go look up Eichenberg's stats for pass blocking snaps, and see, you'll see what I'm talking about. Interior lineman, I have Elijah Vera Tucker, Wyatt Davis, Landon Dickerson at three, Creed Humphrey four, and then Deontay Brown at number five, the monster dude from Alabama, who you could put above Creed Humphrey if you really wanted to. You could even probably put him at three if you really wanted to. He's lost 20 pounds since the senior bowl, which is very promising. It shows how committed he is to his diets and stuff to make sure he's more in shape. Because you can be big, but you got to show that you're committed. So he lost a few pounds, which is really cool. 
For the interior D lineman, moving on defense, we have Christian Barmore. Levi on Ruzuruki from Washington at two. Davion Nixon from Iowa at three. Jay Tuafel from USC at four. And Marlon Tu... Jeez. Tui below two. Tui P... Jeez. Tui below two. Jeez, there we go. From USC at number five. The two USC guys you could flip back and forth, but I think the top three are pretty much set. For edge rushers, I have Quiddy Pay and Gregory Rousseau at 1A, 1B. Aziz Ojolari from Georgia at 3. Jalen Phillips from Miami at 4. And Joe Tryon from Washington at 5. But you could throw in Jason Owe, Joseph Asai, Carlos Basham, Patrick Jones, Ronnie Perkins. Like, There's a lot of really good edge rushers that I won't really get on you too hard if you rank them differently. I think the top... I think the top four are pretty much set, but you could throw in a guy at five, and I wouldn't really think twice about it. Linebackers, Micah Parson at one, Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa at two, Zaven Collins from Tulsa at three, Nick Bolton four, and Jamin Davis, Jamin Davis from Kentucky at number five. Cornerbacks, we have Caleb Farley and Patrick Satan at 1A, 1B. J.C. Horn really could be mentioned as a 1C option here. Greg Newsom from Northwestern at four. And then Eric Stokes from Georgia at 5. And then safeties, Trayvon Morig from T- TCU at 1. Javon, Javon Holland from Oregon at number 2. Richie Grant from UCF at 3. Andre Sisco at 4, which really, if you really push me on it, I would rank... I would I could see people ranking Sisco above Richie Grant fairly easily. So if you rank him above that, that's good. And Hamsa Nasrilla-Dean at number 5 from Florida State. Very safety linebacker. You can flip it at either spot. He's listed as a safety, but he can easily play linebacker. Similar to Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa, who can play both fairly easily, and Zayvon Collins even to a certain extent for his positional fluidity, I guess. Versatility, that's where we're... I mean, fluidity still works there. So, that's all I've really got. Ah, no, 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 I wanted to talk about this. I wanted to talk about this the other day. So, I've, I, gotta, I had to remember this. I wanted to do this the other day, and I'm going to forget about it if I don't talk about it today. CBS Sports. Now, if you may, if you follow mock drafts, which I'm sure if you listen to the show, you at least follow somewhat of mock drafts, or you want to watch, see your teams getting you follow mock drafts to go, oh, what do these experts think we're getting for a draft pick? Well, here's what I've got to say about that. CBS Sports, though they are, I don't want to put this lightly, they, they're fast on getting mock drafts out but it's like they're crapping it out and just seeing what sticks to the wall. So they can go, oh, in my 15 mock drafts, I said that this player would go there. One of my 15 drafts. Like, they release mock drafts every day. How does your opinion change from day to day like that? Like, super fast. It's not like you waited a week or so. You released it the next day. And they might have a lot of people writing these things. But this one was by Emery Hunt. This was one that was made on March 19th. Oh, and I've wanted to talk about this for a while. So this one, here's the title. NF- 2021 NFL Mock Draft, Jets take Justin Fields, Bengals protect Joe Burrow, Lions get Jared Goff a weapon. Okay, so here we go. Pretty standard stuff. You got Trevor Lawrence 1, Justin Fields 2 to the Jets, which isn't happening, but you can understand why people have it. Jamar Chase at 3, Trey Lance 4, Christian Darisaw. At number five, Christian Darisaw. The first tackle taken is Christian Darisaw. I like that you guys are hyping up the young man. 
I think he's a very nice tackle. But at number five, that's a ooh, it's a little bit of a reach. I'm seeing like I believe Darisaw is the best tackle in this class, but on your positional rankings, you rank him third. Third. I mean, I like Darisaw. I really like Christian Darisaw. But the Bengals aren't taking him at five. Eagles, Caleb Farley. They could very well take a corner. But I don't see them passing on Kyle Pitts at this pick, who is not gone at this point. Their picks are between Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is still available. They're not taking Caleb Farley. And obviously things have changed because obviously having some sort of back surgery. So that's going to change. So Farley might drop a little bit more than what originally was originally anticipated. The Lions at number seven take Devontae Smith. Fair. Panthers take Panay Sewell. So I'm assuming you're saying they're trading for a quarterback, but you don't mention in there. So I don't know what your plan is for the Panthers at quarterback. Are they trading for Sam Darnold? They obviously didn't trade for Deshaun if they still have the eighth pick. So what they do at quarterback? Like I get the pick of having Panay Sewell go into the Panthers or the Rayshon Slater, whoever, go into the Panthers. They need offensive linemen. But you've got in your reasoning, explain who their quarterback is because they're getting a quarterback this offseason. If they're trading for one, mention who they're trading for. If they're not, then they're drafting a quarterback. Regardless. And one thing I'd like to note, Zach Wilson has yet to been taken in this draft. So Carolina is sitting there at eight and passed on Zach Wilson for Panay Sewell. And then you've got Patrick Satan going number nine. The Cowboys take a J.C. Horn. And then here's another one. Joe Tryon going to the New York Giants at 11. Not surprised by the positional pick. Surprised by the player pick. I have seen Joe Tryon as high as like 23. I have not seen him anywhere near number 11. Now, the Giants have done this before where they take a player that you didn't really expect them to take at that position. But that's not happening. And then we finally got Zach Wilson going at number 12 to the San Francisco 49ers. I think it'd work perfectly for their system, but there no way in hell is Zach Wilson falling to number 12. And I get if you restrained yourself by not doing trades, but he won't fall to San Francisco if you don't do trades. He's not falling past number two. So regardless of what you think about if he's better than Justin Fields or Trey Lance is better, oh man, all this, all that, he's not falling to 12. The Panthers might take, if he's somehow available at Carolina, he's not slipping past eight. He's not really slipping past four. And hell, he's not really slipping past two. He's not really falling very far at all. Chargers, Kyle Pitts. I mean, makes sense. Positional need. Get Justin Herbert another weapon. But he's not falling to 13. Vikings, Rashawn Slater at number 14. Makes sense. But Darisaw, still the first person taken in the draft. First tackle taken in the draft. The Patriots, Levi on Mozaruki from Washington at 15 are taking him. What? If you're predicting these players here, do freaking trades. <laughs> because this just makes it look really stupid. Like, oh, I think this player could go here to this team. Well, he's not going to get drafted in that position. I think that Zach Wilson would go to San Francisco. Well, he's not falling to 12. So that's the little problem you got to have here. I had that problem in Mock Draft 3.0. Where I was like, I don't think Trey Lance will go to San Francisco. But I think he's more likely to go to 12 than Justin Fields is. So that was my little conundrum I had with Mock Draft 3.0. We complained about that the entire time on the show. The only reason I had 
Trey Lance at 12, it's because I did do trades. And that hurt. I should have done trades. Because Montreal 4.0 is a thousand times better than Montreal 3.0. I basically said throw away Montreal 3.0 the day after I released it. Because I didn't like it that much. So when you have these picks of like Tryon, Christian Derrissaw, Levi Onwuzuruki going this high, I'm kind of surprised. And then Tyson Campbell from Georgia going number 16. I like Tyson Campbell. But he's barely, he's barely getting talked about in the first round. Let alone going 16th, and then the Raiders taking Liam Eichenberg. That's a very Raiders pick. I don't hate that pick, but in your positional rankings, you rank him as 24th. I, I, I would, I could see him easily going to the Raiders. I think that's a very Raiders pick. But, jeez. Then you got Najee Harris going to the Dolphins. Okay, Michael Parsons going to watch football team. Okay, Brady Christensen. We don't even have him on the prospect rankings, let alone position rankings. Why are you drafting him here? The Bears could go QB here, but like Washington, I could see them take see them take less of a risk with a second round pick instead. That's why I went with Christian out of BYU, because that's so much less of a risk than the quarterback you were gonna have them drafted here anyways, who was equally dominant on film and as any of the more talked about tackles in this class. I'll just tell you this. He's not going to Chicago in the first round. Now, I'll if that happens, I'll be absolutely shocked. But I am 90% confident, especially since you guys didn't even bother to put him in the position rankings, not even in the player rankings. That surprises me. Going ahead of a player that you guys have eighth in your rankings in Alex Leatherwood, who is barely mentioned in the first round going to the Colts. So there's another issue here. And then Jalen Waddle falling to 22? What? Jalen Waddle might not even fall out of the top 10, let alone go number 22. Then Asante Samuel Jr. going to the Jets. Okay, I've seen him go in the first round sometimes. Josh Myers. Going from going before his Ohio State teammate Wyatt Davis, going before Elijah Vera Tucker, the <sighs> Pittsburgh lands the best center of this draft. He didn't even mention Creed Humphrey either. That okay? Kadarius Tony going to the Jacksonville, sure. Probably not anymore. Jalen Phillips to Cleveland, sure. Yeah, I had that in the last one. Zayvon Collins to Baltimore. Cameron Bynum. Going to the Saints at 28. Dude, like, are we just even trying here? Like, I, I get you think or want these players to go here. There's no way you can actually logically think these players are going where you say they're going. Elijah Vera Tucker to 29 to Green Bay. Sure, fit makes sense. He won't be available, especially with the t- the off-the-line prospects you put before him. Travis Etienne of the Bills. That makes sense. I had that. Aaron Banks from Notre Dame. Banks is the best guard in this draft class and would keep the... What are you... And then Milton Williams going last to the Buccaneers from Louisiana Tech. Like... Did you try? Did you try to do this? You you didn't... I don't know if you did try. 
it hurts my brain at times to see this. Like, I'm all for you having your opinion, but this guy got paid to make this. He got actually, they said, dude, go out there and make that for us. And he got paid to make that. That's his only article on the entire CBS Sports website. And I made fun of CBS Sports a thousand times for their mock drafts because they just crap them out like every day. That's the worst mock draft I've ever seen. Like, I cannot explain how much reaching was going on in that mock draft. Now, if there's some reasoning that he has in there, it is his reasoning. I just, I'm not going to read it. I don't care. That mock draft pissed me off. For someone who does mock drafts and reads a lot of drafts and follows players, that's awful. He didn't even try. That, that, that hurts me inside. He's getting paid to do that. That hurts. Well, you know what? I'm going to end the show here on that note. So with that being said, I hope you have a good day. Hope you have a great rest of your weekend. And I will see you all on Monday. Peace.